welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, filling in for Dave Robson, who is now back in country, safe and sound, getting over his jet lag, and uh, so we're excited to have him back uh, here in, in Tucson, in his hometown, a new hometown. Like, he's been here for, what, 20 years, 15 years, something like that? I think uh, the rule of thumb here in Tucson is if you survive a single summer, you're considered a native. <laughs> this is your hometown. That, that, that's how it works. You, you, you get to check that off on the, the your driver's license. <laughs> Baptism by fire. Yeah. That's awesome. This is a weekday Bible answer program called A Reason for Hope. So you're new. Uh, what we do here is we take questions from those watching the live stream. And these questions can range anywhere from does God exist or... Um, what did Jesus mean by and fill in the blank? Um, so any question you might have, whether it be the Old Testament, the New Testament, how to apply a specific passage to your life, or how to better understand why Christians believe that Christianity is true. So we'd encourage you to join us. There are multiple ways you can chime in with us. You can join us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash at CCF Tucson. Join us there. And of course, if you do, please like and share our page and if you're watching the live stream just go over to the little comment section leave your question there and we monitor that throughout the program also follow along on youtube and uh, if you do watch us on youtube we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe and hit that notification bell we live stream all of our services here in southern arizona from calvary christian fellowship of tucson our youtube handle is at a reason for hope 546 we also archive our program on rumble and we don't live stream there yet but uh, if you want to catch a previous episode and want to go through our archives of questions that we've taken in the past rather than maybe asking uh, again or asking <clears throat> your question perhaps you might want to browse through our archives and see if that's a question that we've handled in the past so go on to rumble and check that out and if you would please follow us there as we want to grow our audience and reach more people with uh, the truth of the gospel if you don't want to watch our program on a social media platform and rather uh, go someplace else well we live stream simultaneously also to our website so if you go to calvarychristianfellowship.com and hit that watch live tab you not only can watch the program as well as all of our services but you can um, utilize the chat box there leave your questions there's a little nifty prayer button so if you have a prayer request we'd be happy to pray for you we also have a bible app that you can download if you go to the apple or google play store you can download our app just search for calvary christian fellowship of tucson and uh, this app is great because it uh, <clears throat> not only helps you stay connected with our community through keeping track of current events, watching our services live, watching this program, A Reason for Hope, live. But it has a nifty Bible. You can leave notes, highlights. You can start a chat group. You can join a chat group. All kinds of neat things that you can utilize uh, uh, functionality with the app. So I'd encourage you to download, download that and check it out. You can also add our live stream services to any of your Amazon Fire or Roku products. So if you have those, one of those platforms, uh, like a smart device, you can add our live stream channel to your channel list and watch us there as well. And finally, if you'd like to ask a question more discreetly or would just prefer to not publish your question uh, publicly, publicly on a social media platform, you can just email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questions for hope all spelled out, uh, no numbers, at gmail.com. 
Lastly, I'd like you to invite you to follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on Twitter. So go to twitter.com and uh, just search for Scott's Twitter handle. That's at ScottR4H. It's very informative and also entertaining Twitter feed. And you can also tweet your question if you want a question to be answered during the A Reason for Hope program. And speaking of Pastor Scott, he is in studio with us today. Hello. I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah. And uh, ready to see how the conversation is going to roll. Awesome. Uh, also in studio with us today is Pastor Sean Richards. And uh, before we begin our questions for today, happy Friday. And uh, we always like to take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Sean, would you do the honors? Happy to. Dad, thank you that we have the chance to be here. Know our hearts and the difference between yours and ours. We are grateful that you would have us anyway and equip us by your spirit to share your word. Whatever gift's going to be presented here, we ask that it would first be received from you and that you'd be glorified as a result of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That is true. All right, so what's going on now? <clears throat> oh, boy. Uh, you know, uh, I guess there's an ancient Chinese curse that says, uh, may you live in interesting times. If that's true, we may be among the most cursed people <laughs> the world has ever seen. <laughs> because uh, this week, one right, right after another, there have been... Uh, some uh, fascinating developments uh, that have taken place in the news. Uh, earlier today, uh, the story was uh, released, uh, the Not the Bee website, uh, which is the subsidiary of the Babylon Bee, which is a satire website, although they do their satire so well, uh, sometimes when people will send me their clips, I'll look at it and have to think about it for a second to find out if it's real <laughs> or if it's a joke. Um, that's kind of where we are these days. But uh, they have a, uh, a subsidiary website called Not The Bee, and uh, the uh, writers on it provide commentary and synopses of, of uh, various issues that are going on in this world. And uh, their headline, I thought, was pretty compelling. It says, you do not have to bake the cake. Uh, the Supreme Court continues its winning streak with a major victory for religious liberty. Uh, the uh, they, uh, quote uh, Sean Davis uh, from Twitter saying, you do not have to bake the cake. In a 6-3 vote, the Supreme Court ruled in the 303 creative case that the government cannot force private businesses or individuals to violate their religious beliefs by providing products or services their faiths consider to be sinful. Uh, they ruled a six to three along ideological lines. Uh, the First Amendment bars the state of Colorado from, quote, forcing a website designer to create expressive designs speaking messages with which the designer disagrees. Uh, in this case, the state was attempting to force web designer Lori Smith to create wedding websites for gay and lesbian customers. Smith allowed that she was more than happy to serve these customers in any other context, but that creating websites for homosexual weddings would violate her sincerely held religious beliefs. Now, uh, Colorado is sort of a um, uh, kind of a epicenter, black hole, uh, use your <laughs> analogy, uh, for these kinds of, uh, of efforts at government control of speech based upon certain uh, priorities for protected uh, grievance groups. Uh, you might recall uh, Jack Phillips, the baker, uh, who uh, was uh, sued because he would provide uh, bakery goods for anyone regardless of their status, but he considered the fact that he would use his creative abilities to make wedding cakes 
uh, something he would only do in harmony with his deeply held convictions that uh, the Bible defines marriage as between uh, one man and one woman. Well, uh, individuals that had uh, gone to his store for years who were gay uh, decided to sue him over all of this, and the state of Colorado jumped on that. Went all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the state of California, or state of Co uh, Colorado, California is probably following up the rear, uh, could not uh, force him to make these cakes or sue him for damages because he would not make these cakes. Well, all well and good, but even after the Supreme Court has ruled in this case, uh, Jack Phillips has continued to be uh, barraged by <clears throat> nuisance lawsuits. And the problem is, if you don't respond to these nuisance lawsuits, uh, the uh, the uh, local courts can make your life miserable. And it ends up uh, being a form of, I guess we would call it lawfare uh, instead of warfare. Mm -hmm. uh, you can uh, cause significant financial damage to a person. You can tie up all of their time, effort, and energy along these lines. And uh, that, that, a, that's what he has gone through. And it is a deliberate political hit mm -hmm. job because other individuals went out at the time of this controversy and went to Muslim bakeries and asked if they would also make gay wedding cakes. They refused, and they weren't targeted with these suits. It's specifically a Christian man. Yeah, they, yeah. they chose him as a, as a target Yeah, well, make an example of him. Well, in this Supreme Court decision, which I think is a very positive one, the state of Colorado argued that business owners like Smith, quote, have to serve everyone, regardless of sexual orientation, religion, race, or gender. The Supreme Court's response is interesting. They said, not in this way, they don't. And uh, here is the majority opinion consistent with the First Amendment. The nation's answer is tolerance, not coercion. The First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. Colorado cannot deny that promise consistent with the First Amendment. So uh, in essence, uh, it's uh, very interesting how if you go to Lori Smith's website, you will see that on the website, on the very front of it, is an affirmation of the fact that she believes in a biblical definition of marriage. So you pretty much know what you're getting into there. So uh, forcing her to use her website design uh, abilities and creativity uh, to support something that is completely contrary to her deeply held religious beliefs, uh, the, the court uh, ruled six to three uh, that uh, this was not going to be the case. Now, the, uh, the, uh, the, the dissent uh, in this case, uh, written by uh, Justice Sotomayor, uh, you know, I'll leave it to you to look it up online, but the arguments that she makes are, uh, are at one point uh, arguing against a set of circumstances that has nothing to do uh, with Lori Smith's business at all, uh, turning around and actually arguing against her dissent at one point, to which uh, Justice Clarence Thomas essentially commented, as well as uh, uh, Justice Gorsuch commented, uh, if I'm reading your dissent properly, you agree with us. So why are you dissenting? Hmm. But uh, she and two other liberal justices signed on to all of that. Uh, the good news in all of this is, uh, you know, we hear so much uh, about a hostility towards religious speech. We see that enforced by various media platforms and so on. And uh, there are those who are 
you know, throw up their hands and say, well, the battle's lost and we're just going to be marginalized. We don't, won't have a voice in society any longer. But uh, these kind of court decisions are very, very heartening, uh, very, very encouraging. In fact, there was another Supreme Court decision that came down yesterday that ruled in favor of a postman who had a deeply held religious belief against working on Sundays, much like the plot of the movie and book Chariots of Fire about Eric Little, who would not run on Sundays. He had that, that very strong conviction about all of this. Postman felt the same way. Well, the post office said, well, you either work on Sundays or we're going to fire you. And uh, they fire him. He did. He filed a lawsuit. Uh, the Supreme Court found 9-0 in this postman's favor that wow. his uh, religious rights had been violated by mm -hmm. this decision. So a uh, very good week, if you will, as far as uh, the Supreme Court holding up uh, religious uh, uh, rights in this country. So, mm. yeah, Very encouraging, for sure. Any thoughts on that, uh, Sean? I don't <laughs> want to be the bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say that uh, the uh, 9-0 ruling as far as uh, the postmen not having to work on Sundays was praised by a very interesting group called CARE. Uh, the Council for American Islamic Relations, a, notified, a notorious rather uh, hate group and uh, financial affiliate with Hamas and ISIS. Yeah, they thought that that was great because uh, if they have to make accommodations for, say, a Christian who doesn't want to work on Sundays, then the same principle would apply to a Muslim that would want to take time out during his day to be able to say <clears> his various <throat> prayers and so on. And we so. see that being practiced with their co-opting of public roads and transports with their prayer rugs and stuff, despite having plenty of places to do that. But it's a political statement, not a religious one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. You, you take the good well, with the bad. So. Mm -hmm. um, the, the Constitution does give us the opportunity in this Republican form of government that we live in. Here are these people saying, uh, this is a threat to our democracy. Well, we're not a democracy. It's a republic that we live in. It's not a democracy. We should be very glad about that because uh, democracy essentially is shorthand for mob rule mm -hmm. after a while. Uh, the majority wins no matter what. Uh, and there's no safeguards yeah. against all of that. So uh, having these safeguards in place, I think, is a very good thing. And uh, we who are born-again Christians who find ourselves uh, being given this uh, place of great, great privilege as far as uh, being able to share the good news of Jesus mm. Christ is concerned, almost an unprecedented level of freedom to be able to express the gospel. Who knows how long it's going to last? Things can change in a New York minute uh, mm. if we're uh, reading the signs of the times correctly. Uh, it would uh, take the Antichrist to, again, coming to power and uh, taking all these rights mm. away. Something like that could happen. A martial law could be declared. We saw with the pandemic how quickly even take it for granted rights, like the right to assembly. And mm. we talked a, a bit about our friends at Calvary Chapel San Jose still being on the hook for a $1.1 million wow. fine from the state of California and uh, Alameda County uh, for the fact that uh, they continued to exercise their right to have free assembly guaranteed under the Constitution. Mm. Not because uh, lives were at risk, yeah, but because they rejected tyrannical government. Yeah, so uh, even though uh, we found that the quarantines and so on had really no impact whatsoever, mm 
uh, on uh, restricting the, the spread of the COVID virus. They're still on the hook because they dared question the powers that be. So uh, when I see heartening decisions like this from the Supreme Court, we definitely want to uh, pass these along to you all because mm. uh, there, there's good news there as well. Indeed. Well, our first question for today is uh, <clears throat> why is Wisdom of Solomon a different book from Proverbs or Ecclesiastes? Well, like anything else in the Apocrypha, we'll clarify what that means in a moment, uh, the title page is a lie. <laughs> That's why uh, when we're talking about... <laughs> to start, to go, go to the heart of the matter, yes. <laughs> uh, when we're talking about Ecclesiastes, obviously there's a little bit of historical digging, but we know that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon towards the end of his life. When it comes to the book of Proverbs, it's a collection of wise sayings, that's what a proverb is, that was written by, I think, four different authors in the grand total of them, five if you count maybe Moses here and there. But Solomon is the primary contributor to the book of Proverbs. We also have Agur, we have Lemuel, who's rumored to be Solomon, but we don't know, and Lemuel's mother. So take that as an interesting yeah. insight. Uh, as far as who Al Gore and Lemuel are, feel free to ask us. We'll go into more detail. But the sources for these things are clarified. Uh, some of the Proverbs were compiled later by Hezekiah, but sourced and verified back to Solomon. And since he was only 200 years out as opposed to 800, which is another spoiler for where we're going in all of this, <laughs> we have a bit more certainty as to far as where they were getting this information. Then we get to Wisdom of Solomon. Song of Solomon, I think, bears without explaining. But the Wisdom of Solomon, believe it or not, was not written in Jerusalem or Israel proper at all. It was written in Egypt, first strike. The second interesting detail is that it wasn't compiled as far as a document of wisdom literature until around, I think, the second or third century BC. That's a second strike because it removes you a very far way from Solomon himself to be writing the wisdom of Solomon, Solomon, yeah. which is what brings us to my snide comment that the author of the wisdom of Solomon was not Solomon. So advertising this as the source of, or rather the source of this information was from the wisest king of Israel was a fictional, note this, not malicious, but a fictional ploy in order to use a name associated with wisdom to gain more attention to his wise sayings. And that's all that this book was. Now, is it ancient literature? Yes. Are there some interesting insights that you won't uh, be stumbled in your walk intellectually or spiritually if you just took the time to maybe read them for a half hour? No, but when we're talking about why it isn't in our Bibles, Firstly, because our Bible has a standard for what is and isn't in it. Firstly, it has to come from someone who was tested and verified according to the standard of Moses. You can look this up in the book of Deuteronomy as far as what a prophet would be. The only man that would, or rather the first man who would be um, used by God to reveal his word in the form of writing was Moses. He was a man who performed public miracles, made prophecies of the future. God backed up his words with deeds that to show that God was behind this guy. Right. The author of the Wisdom of Solomon didn't put those credentials forward. Secondly, they had to be consistent in their message. If they introduced a new or a conflicting concept of the God of Israel from where they started with him, then you got problems. That would be, of course, rejected out of hand. The third would be they would be tested not just according to consistency, but accuracy. If they made false claims in the name of God, God doesn't get false 
or doesn't make false claims, therefore this came from man, not God. And the fourth is the most important. If you claimed this was from God and you failed the first three of those standards, didn't produce miracles, gave an inconsistent doctrine or an inaccurate statement, you would be executed. You are accountable under the penalty of capital punishment. So these aren't the sort of things people would throw around lightly. Now, obviously, we can today associate fictional uh, works with non-fictional titles in order to get them more attention. Uh, Bill O'Reilly's famous for this and his killing Kennedy, killing Jesus, killing right. so-and-so and forth. And regardless of your opinion of the accuracy of them, not very, they're still not going to be treated as false documents. They get some things wrong here and there, but the point of emphasis isn't saying that Jesus wrote this or that Kennedy wrote this. That's why they have that title at the bottom. Right. Ancient literature didn't do that, but they were clear on this. This was a work of fiction, which is why they put it in the separate category known as the Apocrypha. And no Christian would consider this a part of the canon. No Jew, even, would consider this a part of the canon, which we'll discuss the meaning of in a second, until around the 1500s A.D. That's a long time. And what happened then? It was a political decision, not an intellectual, right. um, academic decision. So what is the canon? Well, the canon is not a, a weapon of war. It literally is like this. It's a measuring stick. That's what the word means. What measures up to the standard, and we already went through that, what lines up with what God has revealed in writing, and how do we tell the difference? The reason why certain books were even challenged to be in the canon was because we couldn't produce an author, for instance. Uh, Hebrews was a controversial book for right. a while because yep. it didn't credit its author, but because a good 70% of the whole book is just Old Testament references, you have to go off the material they were quoting and the substance of his right. arguments. They went off what they could, not what they couldn't. That's a exception to the rule. There are also Old Testament books that were controversial, like Ruth, for instance, but because of its direct tie into the Messianic line of David, they did give that credence after a while. Or Esther, because the name of God isn't mentioned. Or yeah. Song of Solomon, yeah. but the point stands at that. The reason why Wisdom of Solomon isn't in our Bibles is first because if it was divine scripture, the opening title would immediately disqualify it, because it wasn't written by Solomon. That's allowed if it's just a fictional work, right? right. Uh, a self-help book, if you will, a daily devotion for ancient Hebrew thought. But if they were lying about their authorship, they would literally be killed with rocks. That's the first reason. Secondly, they never claimed that it was divine in origin, and thus we take their word for it. And the third is because of the authority of the authors themselves, and as well the standard the Jews themselves laid down, we go to the book of Romans chapter 2 and noting this is the passage. What advantage then has the Jew much in every way? For to them it was committed the oracles of God. They were the ones who were speaking God's word. God revealed his word through that nation. The standards they laid down are the same ones we recognize for our scripture. Wisdom of Solomon doesn't uh, measure up, if you will. So that's why Wisdom of Solomon isn't in our Bible. It was written too late. It was written by the wrong guy. And it wasn't ever claimed to be divine scripture until it was politically expedient. Yeah. No, I, the only thing I'd add is is uh, there's a couple of problematic things with the wisdom of Solomon, even doctrinally, mm -hmm. in that it seems to elevate uh, wisdom to the level of deity, uh, not a, an attribute of God, but a God itself. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also a picture of wisdom being the key to salvation, that we are to depend on wisdom for our salvation. Well, if that is true, 
then we're all lost mm. because uh, without the Lord giving us salvation by grace through faith, uh, we are all blind and foolish and separated from the Lord. It, it would be like saying uh, God can give you salvation if uh, you can live a perfect life. Well, <laughs> yeah, if you can live a perfect life, you don't need salvation. You're, you're in. So uh, that and a number of other statements that are made mm. in the Wisdom of Solomon would be uh, reasons why mm. uh, we would not consider it divinely inspired, along with the, the great analysis Sean gave there. Awesome. Thank you. That's very informative. I had uh, not given that much thought. Um, I, my, I have half my family come from historically Catholic backgrounds, and we would very rarely discuss the Apocrypha when we have our debates. Usually it's, you know, about more fundamental doctrines of the of, of the faith that we would debate. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> authority of Scripture is important. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> well, um, thank you so much for that question. I'm not, I didn't get a name for where it came, but it was a leftover from yesterday. Um, it's from YouTube. That was a YouTube question. Newman wanted to know, why does Romans 7 only apply to believers and not unbelievers? Well, I guess look at the audience that's being addressed in the conversation. Let's start in verse 1. Or do you, the one being addressed in the letter to the Romans, not know brethren. So Paul addresses these people as brothers. They share a common father, but maybe that's reading too much into it. Maybe it's just being formal. For I speak to those who know the law. All right, so already he clarifies in the opening verse of Romans 7 that he's speaking to people who are biblically literate. The law speaking of the Torah, the Old Testament as a whole. But what's interesting about that already is to the Church of Rome, the Christians that were gathered there, does a biblical knowledge save you? Would that make you a believer if you simply were familiar with the Jewish scriptures? No. No, because the Pharisees it's what you do with backwards, yeah. right? Yeah. So let, let's keep reading. That's not conclusive, but it is a hint of where we're headed. Let's go to verse. Let's go to verse 4, where that brethren word comes up again, in light of his illustration of a woman being bound to her husband as long as she lives because of the law. It notes, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead. Notice you, the same audience, the brethren he's speaking to, the intended audience of Romans 7, uh, have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So building on verse 1, we go to verse 4, and he repeats his point, not only addressing them as brethren, right. but people who not just know the scriptures, but are a part of the body of Christ. Now, do you have to be a in part right of, relationship with Christ? Yeah. Now, do you have to have a right relationship with Christ in order to be saved? This this classify a believer? Yes. Okay, now we're getting really yeah. specific. Yeah. Let me jump over to verse 6, and then I'll stop hammering this to death. But now we have been delivered from the law. Notice, we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not the oldness of the letter. So the intended audience of Romans 7 are described not just as brethren, not just those who know the law, not just those who are in Christ, in the body of Christ, but who have died to the old world and are now living in the newness and the spirit and life. Is that a believer? Yes. So the chapter <laughs> 7 of Romans is addressing believers, not unbelievers, because before getting into the inner conflict with sin, the whole song and dance of justifying sinless perfection and your holiness usually, that um, this was Paul before he was saved. 
yeah. that the only person who would still struggle with sin is someone who hasn't fully submitted to Christ. You're not saved if you sin, right? Well, too bad. But uh, Roman John chapter First John chapter one doesn't exist. But uh, the point well, or even is, Paul's statement, "Wretched man that I am." Yeah, not wretched man that I was. But, and yeah, there you we go. can use that as another proof text. What does he say to the audience as if they know what this means? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do yeah. non-believers refer to Jesus as Lord? No. So they didn't no. point there. No. But we can hammer this to death. But the point being made is from that assumption, they're reading a already preconceived conclusion into Romans chapter 7 to say this isn't speaking to uh, believers, this is speaking to unbelievers, and Paul's describing himself before he knew the Lord, hogwash, when he's speaking to the audience, not once, not twice, but three times, not just the first verse, verse, but the last verse of the chapter, he clarifies things that would only appropriately apply to believers, and that's the point. So. Perfect. <laughs> Are you satisfied? <laughs> I think I'm completely satisfied by that answer. I hope our audience is. Yeah, well, coming from a Wesleyan holiness background, uh, I had to write a paper on this subject, and uh, really interesting debate, and I understand why, at least I can understand why some might look at Romans 6, how can I who have died to sin still live in it, and then say, well, Paul's using, for emphasis sake, what they call a present date of tense, speaking about, you know, the very thing I want to do, I, you know, I don't do and what I hate, this I find myself doing, and that there's a seemingly contradiction between 6 and 7, the chapters and, and so on. And, uh, but I don't think that the argument holds up because there's no such thing as a present date of tense. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that, that, that's news to me. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, these theologians will come up with terms just to say, well, this is a unique situation because we can't wrap our mind around this, this seemingly uh, contradictory conundrum. But uh, Sounds like that watchtower. Yeah, or, or, you know, I've already made up my mind on this issue, and now I'm going to fold, spindle, and mutilate the Bible in order to fit mm. that preconceived notion. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, you know, <laughs> we, we, we know what we're doing here. Uh, well, so, when, yeah, yeah and, and, and I think it, it, it illustrates something. We should be very careful uh, about becoming so loyal to any theological framework mm. that uh, it, it is not, it, it becomes so important to us that we look at a passage in the Bible and say, this doesn't mean what it clearly states, mm. because my system here explains everything else. Um, you know, for instance, a, a hardcore Calvinist who uh, believes that Jesus only died for the elect uh, looks at John 3.16 and says, uh, well, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but ever last night. You would not believe the linguistic gyrations mm. that they go to to try to write off the whosoever part. Uh, but then, uh, even if you go through all of that, you know, the, the dust sells you go, okay, so what is this deal about for God so loved the world? It doesn't say the elect, it says he loved the world. So that's your antecedent. You got to live with it. Yeah. So if, if what my theological scheme says in the clear teaching of Scripture are at odds, Maybe I need to take a step back. Now, mm. this is the best way to, to handle things like this. So should we not, uh, you know, again, become familiar, say, with, uh, with those who are from Reformed thought or holiness thought or, you know, pre-trib thought or, you, you know, you name, you name the, the particular uh, theological uh, 
construct. No, I think you can learn things from all of these different groups, but it's like the old saying about when the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Hmm. Um, we, sh- we should have a lot of different tools in our spiritual toolbox because there's going to come passages that I'm going to read that talk about, say, the holiness or the sovereignty of God. And then I can read, say, people like R.C. Sproul or John MacArthur or others hmm. that would tend to take uh, that, uh, that Calvinistic point of view. And I can learn a lot from them looking at, at all of this. On the other side of the coin, when I take a look at the ministry and gifts of the Holy Spirit, Chances are, I'm going to learn a lot more from, say, a non-cessationist like Chuck Smith than I am from someone who says, oh, this is over and done with the last apostle, forget about it. Well, <laughs> that doesn't seem to make sense, because my New Testament is loaded with instructions, not only ex- uh, expounding on spiritual gifts, but explaining their use. Mm-hmm. So. You know, we, we need to have a wide variety of these tools. We shouldn't just write them off because, uh, you know, again, we might disagree with some of their conclusions in other ways and start, you know, labeling people as Gnostics or, you know, heretics or things along this line. Um, I was called a heretic on uh, Twitter earlier today uh, because uh, I deigned to say that uh, Mary actually had other children after Jesus. Oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, boy, man, from coming from a <laughs> Catholic family, you know, I, I, I get where all the, the, the ire and the, uh, the, uh, the righteous wrath comes from. It's almost mm-hmm. like saying something mm-hmm. about your mom. You know, they just feel, yeah. you know, like they're so offended by all of that and they need to stand up for the Blessed Mother and, mm-hmm. and so on. And I but get we don't all worship of, her. And, and, and I get all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but when uh, you know you get to the point where you know you're just labeling people and you're no longer talking about the scriptures anymore, you know I mean it's much easier, for instance, to look at someone like me and say, well, you're an Arian, you know, you deny the deity of Christ because you say that Mary wasn't sinless, or you're a Pelagian, you know, or <laughs> you know, and it, I mean, you know, and as soon as you start hearing all these Ians and isms being thrown around, I always go back to uh, what that great. Uh, 20th century philosopher Ferris Bueller said, <laughs> "Isms, in my opinion, are not good. Someone should not believe in an ism." <laughs> so, uh, you know, if I if I become more loyal to an ism yeah. than I am the scriptures themselves, well, you know, <clears throat> slow your roll, take a step back, and say, you know, John Calvin didn't die for me. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, John or John Darby didn't die for me. Uh, you know, Schofield didn't or die John, for or me. John Wesley, or we- Wesley or MacArthur, <laughs> or you name your yeah. particular. Sp- they, it's Jesus and His Word, and any of those teachers mm-hmm. worth their salt would tell you the same thing. They would, and yeah. it, you hit the nail on the head about these theological frameworks or these systematic theologies, where they're so committed to them that they become more authoritative than the scriptures and they try to get the bible to fit the systematic theology rather than taking a step back humbling yourself and say hey it's a great system but it's obviously flawed because this does not jive so i have to reevaluate what i believe and really just take god's word at face value yeah yeah and and i mean i guess it kind of goes back to uh, i guess this is attributed to sir isaac newton he says if i've seen uh, farther than other men it's because i've stood on the shoulders of giants uh, and uh, we can stand on the shoulders of giants. I mean, people that have devoted their entire lives 
to studying the, the Word of God. You know, people have had incredibly fruitful and, and God-glorifying ministries, and uh, we, can, we can benefit from their wisdom and their insight. And I think that requires some humility of saying, well, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I need some wisdom and insight here. But, you know, we can also become, uh, you know, so uh, kind of uh, fan-fictioned out by these people, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, we're, we're just kind of, this is my tribe and, and this is what I believe in and, and these people would never let me down. Well, I'm here to tell you, people will always let you down. Hero worship is unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, thanks for that, Pastor so, Scott. Very yeah. important. Uh, Theology is great. It's important. Uh, theologians are great to read, but uh, remember our final arbiter for truth is God's word, the scriptures. Right. Awesome. The plain reading thereof. Well, thank you for that question. Uh, very, very good question. And uh, following along, let's see here. Sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> I'm supposed to be better at this. Um, uh, Silveride wanted to know um, Silveride Faith. Sorry about that. Silveride Faith wanted to know if the Bible is banned, uh, will we need to use more faith like Job? If the Bible is the authority of God, if the Bible goes away, what else will we have? Uh, faith, the Bible is the ultimate power a human can have, but without it, uh, what will we have? What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> well, I, I yeah, think... Let, let's take yeah. this apart, I guess. Yeah. First of all, if the Bible is banned, that's happening today. There are, I think, let's see, maybe 35 countries where it is illegal to have in your possession a Bible that isn't either A, approved by the state, or B, in compliance with Sharia law. There is a, uh, on, there have been times in history where you would have been thrown into prison, not just in those awful Eastern countries, but in civilized Western societies like Germany. When or you England. Had, yeah, when yep. you had a Bible in your possession, yep. the Protestant Reformation, when in the common tongue people had the Bible in their own language, the unapproved translations, they were burned at the stake. So this isn't the end of civilization or Christianity as we know it. It's happened before, and it is happening again. But if we then say, well, we need to use more faith like Job, I don't know what you mean by that, because Job had not only access to people who were very literate and knowledgeable in what revelation God had given to them, what Bibles they had access to at that time, but even more so, he didn't come to conclusions about God apart from his word. He continually challenged and wrestled with his emotions, but fell back on, ultimately, God's word in what he had access to. And I think that's what will suffice as far as the actual substance of this question, because if we're going to say faith, I need faith, I need more faith, well, faith just means trust with reason. It's a conclusion that you come to based on the evidence that you have, and because we're so blessed to have this humongous pile of evidence, that is something that helps inform that, but it's ultimately a conclusion you have to come to, and it's a spiritual gift that something ultimately uh, is accomplished by intervention of the Holy Spirit. It's not dependent on a pile of paper, glue, ink, and in this case, leather. Uh, Secondly, I guess thirdly, if we're going to say the Bible is the ultimate power a human can have, that that's wrong according to the Bible. The ultimate power we can have is the same spirit that breathed this through men in history. 
if you need access to God's word, he'll make a way for it. Uh, the, uh, a Christian apologist who will remain nameless for the sake of the point uh, once gave an account, an accurate account, of a man who was thrown into prison in a communist-ruled country, and the warden of the prison, I guess, uh, being as subtle as politicians today, was using pages of the Bible as toilet paper. So whenever he was forced to do latrine duty as that Christian pastor, uh, he washed off the pages and used them for his devotion. Yeah. <laughs> God found a way. Yeah. But if you're, I guess, so concerned about the future, uninformed about people like Job, and misinformed about the purpose of the Bible, that it's not a power that we have, it's a source of information to be sure, we'll have the Spirit, the same Spirit that Job had, the same Spirit that Jesus had, the same Spirit that you and I have. We don't need to be afraid. But when it comes down to the actual crux of this, just remember that when it comes to the Bible being banned, God's that's happened before, it will happen again, God's worked in spite of it. If we have it today, maybe commit it to memory so you don't have to depend on the written version. That'd just be advice. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing uh, <laughs> is this. Uh, I remember going to a pastor's conference a few years ago. I think it was Levi Lesko uh, was uh, at this uh, kind of Q&A uh, uh, deal with some other pastors. And someone made a comment about him not having a, uh, a book-style Bible with him. And he just, he just shook his head and he goes, you know, within five years, none of us are going to have uh, the old book style Bibles, you know, and he just extolled the, the virtues of being able to have, you know, access to, Digital you know, like stuff. Bible Hub or different programs like that, uh, where you could uh, get a hold of all these different translations and all these helps, and it's just right here in your hand. Well, all well and good, but what happens if internet access is blocked? Then what do you do? You know, to me, you go analog. <laughs> you know, there, you know, nobody, you know, and, and, and Christians have paid a huge price down through time mm. for holding on to uh, the, the, the truth of God's word in this sense. So when Diocletian uh, was <laughs> making his uh, final purge of the church, he was the last uh, uh, really antagonistic and persecutor of the church before Constantine issued his Edict of Tolerance and so forth. But he wanted to wipe out Christianity, and he realized that the best way to do that was to wipe out their primary doctrines, uh, their documents. And, uh, and so uh, Christians made some hard decisions when the Romans would come, and they say, you've got these Christian documents here. They had to make hard decisions about the ones they would hand over and the ones they would hide. Uh, and uh, when it came to the actual Bible itself, they would hold on to that, even on the pain of death. In fact, we have one document from that time called the Bloody Manuscript because mm -hmm. uh, it is actually stained with the blood of the guy who owned that particular manuscript and was slain by the Romans for having this banned uh, document on, in his possession. So. Um, could we find ourselves in a situation like that in the future uh, before the rapture takes place? Yeah, it's entirely possible. Uh, so I think what you said, Sean, is, is so right on. Boy, make hay while the sun shines, you know. Uh, be a person that, uh, that is in God's Word. And, and if God's Word is taken away from you, well then, you know, that's what Psalm 119 says, Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against mm. you. It's just all to our good to uh, commit 
the word of God to memory because when I'm out and about and you know I don't have access to my analog Bible or one that's on the computer, I've still got this CPU that sits on my shoulders. Mm. And uh, you know, again, if I'm able to com- connect and communicate God's word because you know I've read it and the Holy Spirit brings these things back to my mind, then I'm going to be far more useful than just someone who was like, well, uh, I just used to have it all in my Bible and hmm. you know, it just sat on the shelf. Are there any, Don't let it sit on the shelf. <laughs> are there any biblical, like, pro- not necessarily prophecies or predictions, but uh, principles that would suggest that until Jesus returned, God, even though it may be taken away in pockets like communism and so on. Uh, the idea that God's word will always remain in the earth until Jesus comes back. Is there anything that, that suggests that? Well, Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We have his word on that. Uh, you know, he's not only inspired his word, but he's preserved it. Yeah, and that's as much true in him communicating the veracity of that truth, that truth doesn't change based on mm. circumstances or the clock, but it's also noting God's going to make sure we have access to what we need for salvation. And the fact that we're given over in abundance and we're starting to get hints that we may have less in the future, it's depressing, but it's not despairing. Yeah, and Peter himself said that he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Well, <laughs> where do we get everything pertaining to life and godliness? A huge portion of it is from his word. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna. I, I wouldn't worry uh, about that, especially right now. And if uh, conditions change on the ground, where uh, God is going to have to uh, get His word to us in other ways, He will. Excellent. Yeah. Well, good question, and I uh, hope that helped you, um, Silver-eyed Faith. Thank you for the for the engagement. Uh, Baldwin, Baldhead, Baldhead, Baldwin. <laughs> I was hoping it was like maybe. Uh, a different name, but uh, no, it's just Baldhead Baldwin. Uh, do people in heaven <laughs> know awesome. what is happening here on earth, or do they not care now that they are with their Savior? Three general positions. Uh, first, your one you gave that they're in the presence of Jesus, so they got bigger thing to focus on. Uh, the second view is that they could, but the fact that we are exiting this quote-unquote timeline and all entering eternity at the same time, there would be no way for them to look back. They just entered in the same Jesus at the same heaven time that we will, but at a different earth time. Ours, a lot of speculation into that, but it's a theory. Yeah. And then the third one is a what I believe mishandling of the book of Hebrews chapter 12, where it notes because we are accompanied by so great a cloud of witnesses therefore let us hold fast to the confession of faith let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily entangles us let us run with endurance the race set before us yeah and uh the idea behind that is taken to be if you hold this view we don't uh the witnesses are those who've gone before us in the faith and are looking back at us instead of those mentioned in chapter 11 and the witness they gave. Yeah, some lives. people see that as uh, you know, a group of people that have already finished their race sort of rooting us on, uh, but the so great a cloud of witnesses applies to chapter 11. Yeah, the, the Hall of Fame of Faith that we see in Hebrews chapter 11 because you see person after person after person uh, being justified by faith, being delivered by faith, being preserved by mm. faith, able to persevere even under intense persecution by faith. And so they've all, in a sense, given their testimony that, yeah, I've lived my life, I've run my race, and God was faithful, and faith in him is really where it's at. Hmm. So, but, uh, but do they look in on us right now? We, we simply don't know. You, you couldn't 
you can say all I can say is uh, you know uh, when they looked at Jesus in his earthly ministry they said he does all things well uh, I think we can count on Jesus in his heavenly ministry ministering to those who are around the throne the spirits of just men already made perfect that if they need to know something that's going on with us for some heavenly reason God's able to provide that knowledge for them I don't think he would hold out on them but you know I think we sort of uh, move over to the other side of, of the issue where if you're in heaven and you're looking at Jesus and you realize that Jesus, boy, he's got everything under c- control and, you know, you've, you've got this perfect relationship with him, you're like, well, I know you're going to take complete care of the people that I love and I'm going to see him sooner than I think. So, Lord, mm-hmm. your will be done, you know. So. Awesome. I've always wondered that, but... Uh I never got on the program and asked. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I thank guess, you. I guess our definitive answer is maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and no, I am not Baldhead Baldwin, although I could pass for one. <laughs> Yari wants to know, who are the kings of the Eastern Revelation? Is it China, and will they eventually rebel against the Antichrist? I didn't know if you're familiar with the movie Megiddo, the Omega Code. So I guess yeah. in some of the End Times movies, they depict China as rebelling against the Antichrist. Is there anything biblical to this? Um, do we have any sure understanding of China's role in the last days? Yeah, the the kings of the East Yari are identified specifically in Revelation 16 as those on that side of the Euphrates River. That isn't just China. That's India, that's Mongolia, that's Malaysia, that's a lot of countries. But these nations are going to come together as a result of the Antichrist deception to make war against him who sits on the horse and his army. Um, obviously there's going to be some conflict. We can see the political shenanigans detailed for us in a bit in Daniel chapter 11, but when it comes to the artistic license that films have made regarding the nature of the Battle of Armageddon and the, uh, you know, a noble attempts that have been made, just make sure you read the book first before uh, coming to conclusions with the movie. But yeah, just, just note that because of the fact there are more countries to the east they are noting that east-west pole, if you will, yeah. at the Euphrates River, and the fact that it dries up so that those kings can march to battle is why that's such a serious plague. It's God giving up on man and letting him destroy himself. Yeah, we tend to focus in on China as uh, the 800-pound population China. and uh, military uh, gorilla in, in that, uh, that region. But people forget um, there are two other nuclear powers to the east of the Euphrates River, Pakistan and India, uh, who don't like each other very much, and that's kind of why they both got nuclear weapons. But but, uh, huge population base in India. Uh, It's interesting that the term kings there, it isn't the king of the east, as in one people group, but kings, Mm. plural, which seems to indicate there's some kind of coalition that's involved there. So um, I, I don't think you can be dogmatic about it, but, um, you know, I'm sure China's gonna be involved with that, what they're, they're doing with their Silk Road project and uh, the skirmishes that they're having in India or with India and some out and out uh, military battles that are going on between China and India right now, uh, especially in Northern India and the access that China wants to be able to have into that region, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, could have some real prophetic significance. It seems like the, the way is being paved but um, a coalition, say, of, uh, of China and uh, India coming together, uh, perhaps even Pakistan or a nation like that, 
uh, from that region, that would be a very significant military force to contend with. And it does appear that all nations are going to be gathered there at the Battle of Armageddon to first fight each other, and uh, then the Antichrist is going to deceive them and say, hey, Jesus is coming back, but I think we can take him. <laughs> and and uh, just as a side note of a side note of a tangent of a uh, side point as well, remember that the world population is going to be recalculated at this point in a very dramatic way Radically, because yeah. at the Euphrates River, yeah. around the halfway point of the tribulation, if you take a plain uh, futurist premillennial view, um, there's going to be four angels that will be unleashed in accompaniment with a 200 million strong army that are going to wipe out a third of the population of the planet. Now, from that vantage point, the Euphrates River has direct access to some of the most populated countries on Earth. So where those casualties are probably going to be is going to be next door. I don't know what's going to be left of India and Pakistan. But uh, the idea is, Yari, just note in reference, the Euphrates River, turn right on the globe. Mm. That's a lot of <clears throat> countries. That's a lot of kinks. Yeah. Now, aren't some uh, <clears throat> theologians, uh, I guess it would be conjecture, but the idea of a 200 million man army and that, that because of China's population size and the size of their current army that that could be china or you know it, it could be um that was popularized by hal Lindsay and some other people along that line because china boasted back in 1962 i think it was that the people's liberation army was over 200 million men at that point they've certainly probably gone up from from that particular uh point but when you read that particular passage uh, it doesn't seem like we're talking about human beings in that passage, does it? No, if, and again, we, we take a literalist view. So when it comes to the description, there's people, nobly as they may try, to say this is an ancient attempt to explain modern warfare uh, with their tails are like scorpions and they strike people, horses with colors of hyacinth blue, sulfur uh, red, and um, some other type of yellow. But the point of emphasis is that these things are breathing fire and brimstone and that people are killed as a result of these plagues. They're describing gunshots and so forth because the smoke exists. Or helicopter gunships or things like that and the because they're like locusts and so on. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the main problem that we have with that obviously is it's literally referencing Job or Joel, not Job, Joel chapter two, and noting these are crawling into windows yeah. and uh, moving over uh, any impediment like the Garden of Eden before them and like the desert mm. of, of a, a barren desert behind them, a wasteland, if you will. There's something supernatural here, not just mm. in the four angels that are released to motivate this army, which is as broad as I could put it for most audiences, but the fact that this 200 million strong army could also be demonic, if not at least angelic, mm. is on the table. <clears throat> now, is that the case? Or again, as we say, going to be dogmatic about it? No, but the view that we would hold with eschatology is as consistent as we can get it, and because we would take first half of Revelation 9 as literal demonic locusts released from the abyss to torment men for five months. We'd also note the follow-up and men getting their wishes that they've been making for those last five months is also going to be demonic in origin. But the nature of these plagues, again, just so that everyone understands, we are premillennial, futurist, uh, we take a dispensationalist worldview, we hold Revelation as a sequential overview of the end times, and note, if you disagree, just a welcome here. 
we're not dividing fellowship over that. We may ask follow-up questions as far as how much the authority of Scripture matters to you, or if you're maybe being inconsistent. We welcome the same. I have no problem reading material or listening to material that I disagree with <coughs> on this. Just note how we're handling it and why we would answer it this way. Not because we're saying you're wrong, but because we're trying to be as mm. consistent as we can with prophetic Scripture. Mm. Yeah, we, we don't want to overstate or understate the case. Mm. And uh, I think when you take a look, at uh, what's being described in those plagues in the book of Revelation, mm. you know, I don't really feel like I need to use human imagination to make it worse than it is. Mm. Pretty bad. Yeah. So. And if there were 200 men, million men, imagine reading that <clears throat> in the early part of the second century. That's a lot of people when you consider the size of the world population back then. It'd yeah, be, it exceeded to, the size of the world quote, population at that point. <laughs> yeah. To quote, uh, uh, space dad for Megamind, it'd be unfathomable, unfathomable, without fathom. <laughs> <laughs> without fathom, yeah. Uh, we got, uh, we can try to get to this last question, uh, follow up from yesterday, is it ever wrong to question God? Not at all. The opening of Isaiah literally encourages people to reason with him. However, there's a difference between a question and a doubt. If you question God, you think he has the answer. If you doubt God, you think he doesn't have the answer, and you're challenging him on that to catch him in something. There is a difference. If you say, mm -hmm. why didn't you do this? That's not a question. That's an accusation. If you're going, why did you do this? Notice, same grammatic structure, but definite difference in intent. Yeah, you know, I, I think of... Uh, of the, the Psalms, uh, how long will you forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 13 and verse one. Uh, you know, David works through all of that, but the honesty that is involved in mm. expressing that, I think is really significant. Like, how in the world did that make it into the Psalm? I'll tell you, because mm. God wants us to have an honest relationship with him. You can say anything to him. Well, have a happy 4th of July weekend. We'll see you again on Monday. God bless You've you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.